Chapter thirty four Thomas Wingfold, Curate by George MacDonald. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chessie Joy. Thomas Wingfold, Curate by George MacDonald. Chapter thirty four Rachel and her uncle. It was nearly dark when they arrived again at the lodge. Rachel opened the gate for them. Without even a thank you, they rode out. She stood for a moment gazing after them through the dusk, then turned with a sigh and went into the kitchen, where her uncle sat by the fire with a book in his hand. "'How I should like to be as well made as Miss Lingard,' she said, seating herself by the lamp that stood on the deal table. "'It must be a fine thing to be strong and tall, and able to look this way and that, without turning all your body along with your head, like the old man that gathers the leeches in Wordsworth's poem. And what it must be to sit on a horse as she does! You should have seen her go flying like the very wind across the park. You would have thought she and her horse were cut out of the same piece. I'm dreadfully envious, uncle. No, my child, I know you better than you do yourself. There is a great difference between I wish I was and I should like to be, as much as between a grumble and a prayer. To be content is not to be satisfied. No one ought to be satisfied with the imperfect. It is God's will that we should bear, and contentedly, because, in hope, looking for the redemption of the body. And we know he has a ready servant who will one day set us free. Yes, uncle, I understand. You know I enjoy life. How could I help it, and you with me? but I don't think I ever go through the churchyard without feeling a sort of triumph. There's for you, I say sometimes, to the little crooked shadow that creeps along by my side across the graves. You'll soon be caught and put inside. But how am I to tell I mayn't be crooked in the next world as well as this? That's what troubles me at times. There might be some necessity for it, you know. Then there will be patience to bear it there also, that you may be sure of. But I do not fear. It were more likely that those who have not thanked God, but prided themselves that they were beautiful in this world, should be crooked in the next. It would be like Dives and Lazarus, you know. But God does what is best for them as well as for us. We shall find one day that beauty and riches were the best things for those to whom they were given, as deformity and poverty were the best for us. I wonder what sort of person I should have been if I had had a straight spine, said Rachel, laughing. "'Hardly one so dear to your deformed uncle,' said her companion in ugliness. "'Then I'm glad I am as I am,' rejoined Rachel. "'This conscience individuality of ours,' said Polworth, after a thoughtful silence, "'is to me an awful thing, the one thing that seems in humanity like the onlyness of God. "'Mine terrifies me sometimes, looking a stranger to me, a limiting of myself, a breaking in upon my existence.' like a volcanic outburst into the blue Sicilian air. When it thus manifests itself, I find no refuge but the offering of it back to him who thought it worth making. I say to him, Lord, it's thine, not mine. See to it, Lord. Thou and thy eternity are mine, Father of Jesus Christ. He covered his eyes with his hands, and his lips grew white and trembled. Thought had turned into prayer, and both were silent for a space. Rachel was the first to speak. I think I understand, uncle, she said. I don't mind being God's dwarf, but I would rather be made after his own image. This can't be it. I should like to be made over again. 
and if the hope we are saved by be no mockery, if St. Paul was not the fool of his own radiant imaginings, you will be, my child. But now let us forget our miserable bodies. Come up to my room, and I will read you a few lines that came to me this morning in the park. Won't you wait for Mr. Wingfold, uncle? He will be here yet, I think. It can't be ten o'clock. He always looks in on Saturdays as he goes home from his walk. I should like you to read them to him, too. They will do him good, I know. I would, my dear, willingly, if I thought he would care for them. But I don't think he would. They are not good enough verses. He has been brought up on Horace, and, I fear, counts the best poetry the neatest. I think you must be mistaken there, uncle. I've heard him talk delightfully about poetry. You must excuse me if I am shy of reading my poor work to any but yourself, Rachel. My heart was so much in it, and the subject so sacred. I am sorry you should think your pearls too good to cast before Mr. Wingful, uncle, said Rachel, with a touch of disappointed temper. Nay, nay, child, returned Polworth. That was not a good thing to say. What gives me concern is that there is so much of the rough, dirty shell sticking about them, that to show them would be to wrong the truth in them. Rachel seldom took long to repent. She came slowly to her uncle, where he stood with the lamp in his hand, looking in his face with a heavenly contrition, and saying nothing. When she reached him, she dropped on her knees, and kissed the hand that hung by his side. Her temper was poor, Rachel's one sore felt trouble. Polworth stooped and kissed her on the forehead, raised her, and leading her to the stair, stood aside to let her go first. But when she had been naughty, Rachel would never go before her uncle, and she drew back. With a smile of intelligence he yielded and led the way. But ere they had climbed to the top, Rachel heard Mr. Wingfold's step and went down again to receive him. End of chapter 34 Recording by Chessie Joy